your 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 gifts to help us to worship. <clears throat> Ryan, I don't know what that means. Ryan is screaming, "Oh, harmony, yay!" In the uh, you know, with the with the mute off, but um, I do think we all appreciate the harmony and the 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 gifts being given to being used to serve. So, thanks, you guys. Thanks a lot. I just want us to take a minute just to kind of look around the squares and uh, just kind of marvel at our, our kind of our team here in Vermont, our, our family, our community. Um, it's pretty awesome. We get to go through life together. And I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty proud of us kind of even in the midst of pandemic and a lot of the different things we've been facing personally and in our, in our society uh, I'm pretty proud of us. We're, we're, we're thriving and we're together and we're, we're, um, learning from each other and we're building one another up and we're, we're helping each other to be better and we're helping each other to, to, to follow Jesus together. And I think it's, uh, it's really, it's really cool, but it's just kind of fun for me sometimes just to kind of look around, look around the, uh, the Hollywood squares, look around the, uh, the Brady Bunch squares, whatever you want to call them and, and just, and just be thankful. You guys are, you guys are amazing. And it really is an honor, uh, and privilege for suing myself to be in Vermont together with you and contending for the gospel as one, as one human, one person. So, um, thank you. You guys are the best. Love you guys. Um, today we're going to continue in our little series that we've had over the summer of, of, uh, of course, sharing in our, some of our favorite Jesus moments. Thanks, uh, Peter and Jeanette for sharing this morning. I, I, to me, I, it's always, it's always a blessing. It's always a good thing, an inspiring thing to go through that account of Martha and Mary and Jesus at their home. I love that Jeanette talking about inviting God into our homes and then just wanting to stay, you know, focused and attentive to what he, what he brings into our lives, into our homes, um, and, uh, into our hearts. And so uh, thank you guys for sharing. That was great. And I've been so, uh, I've been so, um, uh, encouraged by all the sharing, uh, of, of people's Jesus moments. Um, you know, in order to grow, in order to change, it's imperative that we have role models, that we have people to look to, to, uh, to help us to, to know the way forward and to inspire us to, uh, to, to greater heights. And Jesus is such an amazing role model. We get a chance to, uh, to look to him for guidance, to look to him for wisdom, to look to him for comfort and, and inspiration, and it's really an honor for us to have someone like Jesus to look to, especially uh, trying to navigate some of the dark times and the dark world that we live in. Um, and it's just and it's just awesome to have talks about faith. Thanks, you guys, so much for just sharing what you have about faith and you know different ways that you connect with faith and different ways that you find faith. Uh, you know, it's Chandra talking about you know the Book of Job. And just being able to find faith to be able to, you know, to, to, to navigate through those times of challenge and also appreciate those times of challenge to, that our scars do make us wiser, you know, and, um, and, you know, uh, Pat sharing about, you know, stories of faith and I can't, I can't go through them all, but they've all been so, um, so, uh, um, I don't know, so encouraging. And it really have helped me be more courageous in my own journey and more faithful. So thanks you guys so much for sharing about that. And I think it's something that we could really share about for the rest of our lives because, because that's the thing that's tested throughout the week is our courage. 
you know, it's, we find in our lives that we tend to excel in the things that we have courage in. We tend to struggle and falter in the things where we lack courage and lack faith and trust. And so, um, and so anyway, it's just always important for us to, to build one another up in our faith and to, and to help one another, uh, in our faith, to put wind of faith in our sails and to be able to help one another with that. So, so thank you. So, so today I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, a little bit more about faith and share from one of my favorite, uh, faith stories. There are so many, but my title this morning for the lesson is stay hungry, stay hungry. Okay. And we're going to talk about having a hungry faith this morning. And so, um, let's pray together and let's ask God to really, really move through his word and his spirit this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful that we get a chance to open up the scriptures, to hear what you have to say, to be able to focus on your perspective, to focus on your truth, to focus on uh, the wise way forward. Father, help us to have more faith because we open up the scriptures this morning. Father, we ask your spirit to move powerfully, I mean, palpably, uh, obviously, in all of our hearts as you speak to us and as you move in our lives both individually and together as, as a family. Father, we love you. We ask for your spirit and your guidance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Our, our account, of, uh, our story is going to come from here this morning. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I want to talk about having a hungry faith. You know, there's a, there's that sort of, those words that are sometimes found in a locker room, you know, a sports locker room, talking about staying humble and hungry and always hustling and having that kind of spirit towards, you know, uh, perhaps our sport or, or our endeavor that we're, that we're facing. You know, right now we're in the NBA playoffs. And I don't know if you guys, uh, like the NBA or like basketball, but for Nick and myself, we've always really enjoyed watching basketball together and our, the Lakers are our team. And so we're, you know, we're kind of texting during the games and we're excited about uh, hopefully the Lakers maybe taking home another championship this, this season. But it's interesting. One of the things we talk about a lot as we watch games is it's, is, is these players are so talented. They're so able. They're so capable. They're so like born for the, for this, for this sport. But it's oftentimes seems like the difference is the level of hunger. The level of hunger is is really the difference in who wins and who loses this matchup, and they could be equally talented. They could be have you know the the same kind of team chemistry, but it's sort of that hunger factor that really decides whether they're gonna whether they're gonna push themselves to that place where they're actually gonna overcome the obstacles to win. And I think that's really how it is in life. Is that we, uh, is that we find that hunger often makes the difference. Look in Mark chapter 11. Because it says in verse 12, it says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, which by the way is where, uh, Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. Jesus kind of made that his headquarters sometimes. And so the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus heading into Jerusalem. It says, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. We're going to see here in a moment that what happens here comes out of Jesus' hunger. And Jesus Jesus gets kind of ticked off in this situation that we're going to see here in a moment because because of his hunger. 
You know, hunger in the Bible, it's an interesting metaphor in the Bible because, like, you look in the book of Proverbs, and there's Proverbs that say things like, you know, the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. You know, we find that that hunger uh, oftentimes in the Scripture is is uh, associated with desperation, with being highly motivated, with being kind of lean and mean and having a focus about our lives and a, and a fearlessness about our lives. Whereas being well-fed uh, is often is often associated with being sluggish and being, you know, having kind of a malaise and an apathy about our lives. Uh, you know, that we're, that we're sort of, we're sort of uh, tired and kind of worn out. And it's not because we've been working so hard. It's because our belly is so full. And so Jesus here is hungry. It's interesting, you know, in, in, in the Beatitudes, think about it. Um, Matthew chapter five, verse six, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. It's, it's an example and it's a contrast to the world that becomes so apathetic and so sluggish. You know, in the Proverbs, it's called a sluggard. You know, someone who just kind of sits around and feeds themselves and loses that edge and loses that desire for good things. Blessed are those of us who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're going to be filled. But the question becomes, are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And that's what Jesus is going to address here a little bit. You know, in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus went into the desert. And uh, and it says, and it says after the 40 days in the desert, it's kind of interesting because it says he was hungry. And it seems like kind of an understatement, right? You know, you fast for 40 days. Oh, he was hungry. But in a sense, I don't think he was talking about physical hunger there. I think he was more referring to the fact that Jesus returned from the desert. And it says, in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus was on fire. The fire was rising. The revolution was starting. And Jesus came back hungry in the power of the Spirit. And it's it's a challenge to me because I know that for me, you know, one time I was very hungry to change in my life when I was going when I was living in Japan. I was, I don't know, twenty-four years old. And I'd gone through a time of of malaise in my life. And a time of kind of just getting, I don't know, lazy, too well fed spiritually. And, and I started falling into different stuff and I really wanted to change. And so I was coming back from a conference and I made a decision to do the first thing that I read that Jesus did in the book of Mark. And of course, Jesus goes into the desert to fast. And so I decided I was going to fast for 40 days. And, and, and so I did. And it was a time of, of great change in my life. And what I realized even in that fasting is that that hunger produced in me a motivation, a clarity. It sometimes was clouded by me too, being too well fed. <clears throat> it produced a clarity. My theme passage was uh, Psalm 25 and it talks about unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And so as I was hungry, I was reminded that man doesn't live on bread alone on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it made me hunger for the things of God. It made me reminded that I need the things of God even more than I need oftentimes need a physical meal. And so <clears throat> Jesus is going to be challenging us here in this chapter in, Matthew, in Mark 11 to stay hungry, to stay hungry. So let's go back to Matthew, to Mark 11 
in verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 13, verse 15, I'm sorry. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Jesus was challenging the religious malaise of his day. And what we're going to find here in a moment is that this fig tree really is, is a metaphor for, for the puffiness, for the outward adornment of the religious world at this time. But there was no fruit. And Jesus was hungry for fruit. Jesus was hungry for, for God being displayed. You know, in John chapter 15, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's so much fruit that comes from following Jesus and from us being dedicated, hungry disciples, learners from him, the Son of God. But Jesus didn't find that in the temple. What did Jesus find in the temple? He's found a lot of bunch of people doing the religious stuff, getting fat on sales and marketing in the religious world. You know, um, somehow calling what they were doing, being, being, doing the things of God. And Jesus was kind of disgusted. You know, it's interesting. Historians aren't quite sure <clears throat> whether Jesus did this at this point in his ministry where he clears the temple or if he did it earlier in his ministry, like it talks about in the book of John, or if he did it twice in his ministry. But it's interesting that Jesus, we know, did this. He went into the temple. He was hungry for change. He was hungry and thirsting for righteousness in the temple and in God's people. He said, my my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, not just another marketplace where people are feeding themselves. And so Jesus has this strong response and he curses the fig tree. You know, it's interesting because we see here a side of Jesus that we often, we, we don't often see. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my idea of Jesus was either the stained glass Jesus, you know, who was sort of this really frail, sort of skinny white guy in the, in the stained glass with a, with a ring around his head. Or I saw him as this little baby Jesus that we took out of, you know, took out of the box every Christmas and put with a little piece of hay in the manger. Or he was kind of like the uh, children's Bible Jesus, you know, where he had this long flowing hair, he was holding the lambs. And, and this is, that's not the Jesus we see here. And it, and it kind of, it kind of, it rattles us a little bit. And it rattled the, the Pharisees out of their complacency and, and their idea of what the, what the, the Son of God, what the Messiah should be like. But, um, the whole crowd was amazed. Because they saw in Jesus a hunger and thirst for righteousness that produced this energy and produced this fierceness 
But that's what we see here with Jesus. He's a fierce Messiah. He's a fierce, strong, focused man. We see him, we see his warrior side. We see his conqueror side. We see his fighter side. You know, in the Bible, it talks oftentimes about fighting the good fight. And that's not, that's certainly not a man thing. That's a life thing. That's where the fighter comes out in us. And it's, it's either, it's either me or my opponent. And the Bible talks a lot about this fight that we have, this spiritual fight that we have. And I think the question for us is, how's the fight going? How's the fight going? Are we hungry? Are we just puffing ourselves up with leaves of our faith and religiosity? Or are we bearing the fruit of being a follower, a student, a devoted learner, an apprentice from the master? And producing the fruit that we see in his life, the impact that we see in his life, the love, joy, the peace, the patience, the, uh, the self-control that we see in his life. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus is trying to make a point here, and the point was, was not lost on the apostles. Look at what happens, verse 19. When the evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Okay, let me read that again. In the morning as they went along, so they're going back to where they were the day before from Bethany, and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So, again, what this represents is the religious world that Jesus was trying to revolutionize. Jesus was bringing new wine, and it required new wineskins. And so this was, he was cursing this fig tree that was dead, that was rotten, that wasn't producing fruit. And he said it was dying. They saw it withered from the roots. So Jesus was serious about this. And they said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree of curse has withered. Verse 22, have faith in God. Jesus answered. And so this is kind of where we're talking about having a hungry faith and staying hungry. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. So here's what Jesus wants the guys to get from this. This is what he wants the women and the men who are following him, who are hanging out with him, who are in his posse, in his crew. This is what he wants them to get from this. Not that just he's angry or that he's having a bad day or that he's moody or that he's tipped off in the tree for some, some unknown reason. Jesus is saying, hey, here's what I want you to get from this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So this is a very active, warrior-like, let's get busy, let's get going kind of faith. And so I just wanted to make four quick points here from, from, from this situation. I want you to picture yourself going through this kind of day, this 24 hours with Jesus. You're hanging out Lazarus and Mary and Martha's home. 
And then you're traveling down. Jesus does this with the tree. He clears the temple. It's controversial. It's intense. It's a moment they never forgot. They go back. They, they spend the night. They're coming back. They see the tree. It's an example of something that, that was a visual for them. And Jesus makes these, these points. And there's four things I wanted just to talk about here briefly. The first one is have faith in God. The first one is trust God. Faith is an expression of what and who we trust. Let me say that again. Faith is an expression of what and who we put our trust in. And Jesus is saying here, the best place to put your trust is in God, is in your creator. God knows the beginning from the end. God knows what he's talking about. He's not theorizing. God isn't, you know, trying out a few experiments to see what's true. God knows exactly what's true. Trust him. Yesterday I was out uh, praying on a prayer walk. And uh, I came across a dad and his son. And I always kind of, that always sticks out to me because I, I just love those memories for me. When, when my kids were young, we'd be out on adventures and we'd be out kind of hanging out together. So so this father and his son, they, they passed me at one point, And then I came back upon them at this at this wall. This wall was like a, this kind of uh, rocked wall that was maybe, I don't know, six or seven feet high. And I came upon them when the boy was like halfway up the wall. So he was climbing up the wall and his father was helping him. And, uh, and so he gets this part in the wall and the boy actually started like kind of get, he started panicking. He started getting scared going, dad, I, I can't go up in here. The boy was maybe, I don't know, seven years old, six or seven years old. He said, dad, stop. I, I don't want to go up. I can't go up. Put me down. Put me down. And I was hearing the dad kind of coach this boy through this. And, uh, and encourage him through this. And the dad was sort of gently nudging him up the wall to be able to make it. And just moments later, the boy made it up the wall. And I heard the dad say to him, he said, you see, you were halfway up the wall. Why would you want to stop? Why would you want to stop? And it reminded me of how I am with God oftentimes. And I think we are. Is that something looks exciting and we get a dream for our lives. We get some clarity about our lives. And we start up the wall. But then we start getting scared. We start panicking. We start wondering what is going to happen. And so often, rather than following through on some on a goal that we've set or a dream that we have or a prayer that we've made, we we cry out and we and we and we and we give in to fear. And it's God, our dad, our faithful father, who's wanted to nudge us to this next place and help us to this next place. And I think he's oftentimes saying to us. Why did you want to stop? You're halfway there. We could have made it all the way to the top. But we've got to trust God. We've got to have faith in God. And that's really so much of the story of Jesus' life. He's saying, trust God. You know, it's interesting, even on the cross, what did they accuse Jesus of? What was the big thing they said about Jesus? He trusts God. Let's see if God rescues him. Let's see if God can actually get him over this wall. And, of course, that's nothing for God. God can do that. God's the author of life. But that was the story of Jesus. I trust in God more than anything or more than anyone else. And that's the challenge for us in our faith. Trust God. Put our faith in God. Put our faith and believe what he says. Because that's what he says a little bit later. He says, 
He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. I think what he's referring to right there when he says he believes that what he says will happen, he's referring to God. Do we believe that what God says will happen? Do we believe in God's promises? Do we believe in God's power? Do we believe in God's wisdom over what everybody else is saying? What circumstances are saying? What people might be saying? What our own weaknesses might be saying to us? And so he says, have faith in God. The second thing I think we learned from this is ask, seek, and knock. Ask. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, this isn't, again, this is one another one of those passages, if anyone. It's not an issue of how righteous you are. It's not an issue of judging yourself as how much you've come through that day. It's, it's interesting how much Jesus, how powerful Jesus teaches that faith is. How powerful he teaches belief is. In general, in the human experience, it's extremely powerful. But then when we put our faith in something that's truly trustworthy and real, being God, being our creator, wow, faith becomes, becomes more powerful than anything else. And faith in our lives can move mountains. And that's why he makes such a contrast. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. I'm done with you. I'm, 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 I'm in control here. I'm, I'm, I'm asking in faith for this to happen. He says, if he does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it. Faith is a verb. Guys, what are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking the door about? What are we persistent about? What are we asking? It's a real, it's a real demonstration of our faith. And you may have said, well, I asked a lot this past week and it didn't happen. Well, oftentimes the the power of the ask is in the asking and in the seeking and in the knocking. That's where the change starts to happen in our character and in our minds and in our thinking. And we get to these places where we're halfway up the wall and we have to actually make an intentional choice about how we're going to think about this challenge and who we're going to trust in. But I'll tell you, when we get to the top of that wall, and we talk to our dad about that experience. And he says to us, hey, I am faithful. I do have your back. I am true to my promises. Wow, there's there's a breakthrough that happens. Because we didn't give in to fear. We gave in to God. And that's powerful. He says, ask, seek, and knock. What are we asking for? You know, I, we talked about that as homework this past week. And I feel challenged by that. I don't know about you. But Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And it's such a huge range of things that come out of my heart. But I want to be persistent with that and actually like tire God out. Like it talks about with the persistent widow about my asking and my seeking and my knocking. But Jesus just reinforces that again here. And I think what he's saying to the guys is, you know, it's such a physical example. He's saying, I even have to do this. I even have to ask. I even have to be bold with God and my father. I even have to believe in him. What are we asking God for? Third thing, believe you have received. Believe you have received. Now, this is really interesting because Jesus is talking about visualizing here. He says, when you pray, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. 
It's seeing with eyes of faith. I'd like us to turn over quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Because we got to believe that we received it. This is a test for us. We can ask it and we can send up these wishes to God. You know, wish, I wish, I wish, I hope. And that's good. That's the beginning. But what Jesus is saying, if you can get to that place where you're actually believing to the point of seeing that you've received it, it's going to be yours because, because there's a realness there to your faith. So look here in Ephesians chapter one. This is Paul praying for the, the disciples in Ephesus in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is powerful. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul would pray the same prayer for us, that the eyes of our heart could be enlightened so that we would know the hope, the riches, and the power, the resurrection power that can overcome any challenge, that can overcome any obstacle. But we, our hearts have got to be enlightened. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 11. He says, believe that you have received it. Have that kind of belief in your heart, have that kind of enlightenment in your heart and it shall be yours. It was really cool on uh, Friday. Was it Friday? What? Yeah, it was Friday. We met with our life team over at uh, the McLean's. And of course we got there and Euro is building this big, big fire in, in the, in the, in the fire pit out in the yard. And uh, we talked about, Hey, you know, uh, as a life team, we, we imagined that it, it's uh, December 31st, and we're looking back on the fall, and we're asking ourselves, what, what would we love to see with eyes of faith? What, what, what can we believe that we're going to receive? And it was just really awesome. We came up with this list of stuff that you could tell was really kind of close and near and dear to people's hearts. It's actually sort of a vulnerability in sharing it because we're risking something. And we were talking about, you know, let's 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 risk something this this autumn, this fall, and let's go for it. And let's pray for these things. And let's believe that God can do it. And it was really cool because at the end of that time together, it had actually kind of gotten dark. And we had this great conversation about dreams and goals and, and visions and stuff for their group. And, of course, when we prayed, it was dark. And we looked up and we could count the stars. And, and so it's kind of like this little exercise with Abraham because we were outside. And it was just, again, this sort of idea that, you know what? God can do it. God is mighty. And together with one another, with our kind of pulling our faith together, we're praying that the eyes of our heart could be enlightened. We could actually believe that we've received it and dream bold dreams and, and take a risk and go for it. Even if we're not quite sure it's going to happen, but we can share it and we can go for it. So thirdly, Jesus is saying, believe you've received. Fourth is, and this is a huge one, is forgive. If we're going to have a vibrant faith, guys, we've got to let go of the past. We've got to let go of the hurts. 
the people that have hurt us, the circumstances that have hurt us in the past. You know, he says something that he says a few times here. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. And this word kind of has that idea of release him. Let it go. Because honestly, when we think, when we're hanging on to something, we think we're holding them hostage to a certain kind of response or change that we want to see in them. What we're actually doing is holding ourselves hostage to the circumstances. And so he says, release them so that your father in heaven may release you from your sins. And I think what, what he's saying here is that the way that God has created life is that when we're don't, when we're not forgiven, when we don't forgive, we actually are in bondage to our sinfulness. And we're in bondage to other people's sinfulness. And we're, we're, it's kind of like a ball and chain. And so in order for us to move forward in faith, in order for us to believe and be set free in our faith, we've got to forgive. And it's only, it's only good for us at the end of the day. And one of the things that I've realized is that, is that oftentimes forgiving or kind of dealing with my past is re-narrating my past, telling a different story about my past. Because what I have found is that oftentimes in the situations that I have found very challenging in my life and things that have been done to me, things that I've gone through, is that there is actually an incredible blessing there. And I have found that, like, in, for example, some of my experiences with bullying as a kid, it's, it's interesting to me how many of us hold on to these early experiences of bullying in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and they hold us to a place in how we see ourselves and this, and this, and, and, and this narrative in our lives. And, but what I have found is that my honest experience in thinking about bullying has made me a lot more empathetic mm-hmm. towards others. And what they've been through. And it's made me wanting to connect with other people's pain in this particular situation in bullying. And what I found is that actually that bullying kind of softened my own heart so that I would be blessed because I'm one who mourns. I'm blessed because I'm one who feels a little bit more deeply. And I think, you know, oftentimes in those things that we hold on to that hurt us, there's a blessing that we can actually be thankful for if we see it with eyes of faith. And so oftentimes it's, it's us going back with that, with that hunger and that thirst to find God's will and God's truth and to find a way forward that actually gets us to retell that story as a blessing story, as a story of release from something that would have otherwise held us back that would have otherwise not made us into the person that we are today, that we're thankful for, that God is training. So sometimes we got to retell the story. Other people don't get to do that. They don't get to tell our stories. We tell our story. And hopefully over time we can tell our story with wisdom and with faith and with hope and with love and with God in the mix who's still trying to get us up that little wall and saying, don't quit. You're halfway there. We can do this together. And so Jesus is saying, forgive, release it, let it go so that you can go on to days of faith. Please turn over with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to close out here. Philippians chapter 3.
So those four points again, trust, ask, believe, forgive. Those are some markers of a hungry faith, staying hungry in our faith. You know, if you take the T from trust and ask from A from ask, B from believe, F from forgive, it spells Tabith. So it doesn't really spell anything. So I couldn't figure out how to spell a word there, but it does spell that. So anyhow, if you're interested. So four points. But okay, so we're gonna close out here. Looking at chapter three, uh starting in verse thirteen. It says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. You guys there? But one thing I do, this reminds me of Jeanette sharing this morning about Mary. Only one thing is needed. So listen to Paul. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, it's a hungry faith right here. Forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It reminds me a lot of the determination and the fighting spirit that we saw in Jesus back in Mark chapter 11. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too will God will make clear to you. Only let's live up to what we've already attained. Let's move forward. Let's get hungry in our faith. Let's dream huge dreams. Let's work hard. Let's trust God. Let's ask. Let's believe. Let's forgive. Let's forget what's behind and strain toward what's ahead and press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a great passage for us. This this is my theme passage for this autumn. And I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of halfway through in my life and I'm trying to get a vision and a hunger toward what's ahead. God's got a lot of plans for me and for the shops. God's got a lot of plans for us. We're the Burlington Church of Christ. God's got a lot of plans for us individually. God's still got a lot of great goals for us to accomplish. God's still got a lot of stuff for us to press on towards. And we're not going to get sidelined by the malaise of being, of being too, too full, you know, or being too well fed. We're going to stay hungry and we're going to hunger and thirst for what God has for us. And I really want to invite each one of us to get some really clear and exciting goals and dreams in our life that we can taste, that we can hunger for, that we truly want and desire in our lives. And to find that hunger, maybe it's going to take some fasting. Maybe it's going to take some all-night prayers. Maybe it's going to take some, some long conversations with God, with, with one another. You know, I don't know what it's going to take, but we've got to find that place of hunger. Here's the thing what Paul says. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. So in some ways, we want to hold on to our childlike faith. In other ways, we want to move forward. We want to become mature. And he says, hey, at some point you think differently, that's cool. We're going to be talking about things until, now until we go, we go to heaven. <laughs> that's awesome. But he says, but let's live up to what we've already attained. Let's live up to that. So I really want to encourage us to, one, get some clear goals that challenge us. 
or we're risking something. We're going to have to sacrifice something. It's going to maybe cause us to, to cry out and get a little bit afraid when we're halfway up that wall. But let's go there because we're going to learn a lot about God. Let's get this spirit of one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. But I'd like to ask all of us to come to find our theme passage for this, for this autumn, a theme passage that's going to call us higher, where the eyes of our heart are going to be enlightened. We're going to learn something about God and completing the task that God has given us. And so let's be that, not just a big leafy tree, but let's be fruitful. Let's be mature. Let's be productive in our faith. Let's move forward in a powerful way. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. And, uh, and, and let's, let's live up. You know, let's step up to what we've already attained. God has given us so much. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has put some challenging dreams and goals in our heart. We ain't done. We ain't done yet. We still got a lot ahead of us. It's awesome, and that's great together and individually and in our families and our friendships. Let's stay hungry. So let's pray, and uh, let's ask God to, uh, to, to lead us powerfully forward, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we want to stay hungry. We want to hunger and thirst for what you have for us. We want to forget what's behind and strain toward what's ahead. We want to prioritize and fiercely, like fighters in the ring, we want to we want to set our hearts and minds on what's important, where we can say one thing I do, and we're we're like a life force, a force to be reckoned with in our faith because we're hungry, because we're fierce, uh, because we're going for it. Father, please help us to get up over those walls of obstacles. Please help us to, for our eyes at the heart of our, our hearts to be enlightened so we'll know the hope and the riches and the power that's in us. The power of Jesus and the resurrection, Father, help us all to take hold of it. And Father, uh, in the name of Jesus, we claim this for ourselves. We claim the victory for each and every one of us and us as a church, Father, for all that you have for us in this autumn, in closing out 2020, and in the years to come, and in eternity. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.